I'm so excited to have my good friend, Brother Stephen Henderson. He's out of Columbus, Georgia, and uh, he went up to Manhattan, Kansas, didn't know a soul, just like I didn't know a soul when I came to this uh, town, not one person, and um, started Harvest Baptist Church 13 years ago. I was up there, when was I up there? A couple years ago, I guess. Time flies when you're having, when you're getting old. And uh, about two years ago, I think it was, and we had a family crusade, and I'm going to tell you something, it's a tremendous church, tremendous, reaching the military, uh, good music, Christ honor music, half our orchestra's on vacation, half of it, that's two people, but half of it is on vacation, I wanted to hear our orchestra, but they have a lot of young people playing violins and um, just trumpets, and I mean, they get them involved, and his daughter sings so beautifully, and his sons, and I appreciate this family. Brother Steve's been through a a rough time as far as his wife been very, very sick for several years. I mean, and uh, he's just faithful. I appreciate a young man, a young preacher, and you are young compared to me, a young preacher that just don't quit and just wants to be faithful and do a work for God. And so, brother, you come, make yourself at home. We're so glad you're passing through, and uh, we're just uh, so excited about you bringing the message tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you, preacher. Love you. Thanks, Ken. All God's people said, amen and amen. What a blessing to be here. And uh, Preacher's right. We had a good time when he was up there. It was, about, it was about a year and a half, two years ago, I believe. It was uh, in January, and uh, the Lord blessed. And Boy, your preacher's a, he's a tremendous preacher, but he's, all, he's good and everything, but he's really good on the home, isn't he? And uh, I know that, that you travel around, and you, you, the Lord uses you on the home, and boy, what a blessing that is. And and uh, I also bring greetings from Chris Hanks. Y'all know him? All right. Now, don't shoot me because I said that name. Uh, Chris is uh, one of my dearest friends, and uh, he's a great preacher, and got to spend the week with him at camp, and that was a blessing. And uh, I know that uh, I think he, came, he went out to Colorado, out of here, I believe. And uh, he, he and I worked together at, uh, at Grace in Columbus, and... Uh, um, he's a dear friend. Now, about this orchestra thing, you know, you said we had some violins and things. We call them fiddles. Yes, sir. Amen, fiddles. Uh, you know, but we, they, they, sometimes they're violins, sometimes they get after it and play it like a fiddle. Amen. And uh, we had another lady join, and she started playing the harmonica. That was a blessing. I like the harmonica. That's a good one. But uh, those of you that are using your talents for the Lord, keep it up. Don't quit. Just keep serving the Lord with your talents. It's a blessing. And uh, you never know how the Lord will use that in the future. That's for sure. And uh, so I encourage you to do that, parents. If you have children in lessons, make them stick with it. Don't let them quit. Make them stick with it. It's a, it's a blessing. Um, let's see. Atlanta traffic. I went through purgatory. And you see, being from south, you know, of Atlanta, I, I've always enjoyed Atlanta traffic because you can, you can move. You know what I mean? You can move. Some of you are looking at me like, how, how dare you? No, you like to move, yeah. And there, wasn't, there was no wrecks or anything, it wasn't too bad. So I got just, I enjoyed just bopping in and out and having a good time. And um, I'm in Kansas. They think there's a lot of traffic in Kansas City. And it's like you get behind somebody, and it's like everybody's on a permanent Sunday afternoon drive. And it's like, would you people move? Get out of the way, you know, trying to get somewhere. I know I'm, I'm offending half of you right now by what I'm saying, but I enjoy moving along. 
Um, now, uh, the, um, I bring also with me, from, and I'm going to offend everybody here now, I bring with me um, greetings, and I want to say War Eagle to everybody. The, the hush. <laughs> See, growing up in Columbus, Georgia, I lived in Phoenix City. Phoenix City is like 30 minutes from Auburn, and so people wonder, how did you become an Auburn fan? Well, I grew up there. That's where it was. And I expect y'all to be dogs, right? Georgia fans, amen. And Oh, and Tennessee. That's right. So y'all hate each other too. <laughs> I figured that. That's about right. It's the same way, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. You either like one or the other, we both hate you. That's just, that's just kind, of the, kind of the way it goes. Um, speaking of dances, man, that was, that, that was, I would love to have seen that one. No, I wouldn't. We took our singles. When we were at Grace, I was in charge of the singles, and we took them to an uh, ice hockey game. They had a little minor league team there in town. And, you know, they're always looking for entertainment, and they're trying to do everything they can. And y'all know what the chicken dance is? I grabbed my wife under one arm, and I grabbed my, my um, uh, daughter under the other arm, and we were sitting here, and I, was, I had them. They could not go. They put the camera right on me, and we're sitting here doing this. So I'll probably go sit by that guy if it's all right. We'll have us a, we'll have us a time. Who, who is that guy here? Who is it? There he is. Lord bless you, man. Stay strong. Stay strong. Don't let anybody change you. I like it. I like the way you are. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to James chapter 2, if you will. James chapter 2. Uh, Lord gave me a message on the sin of partiality I want to preach. <laughs> teasing. I'm teasing. I know your preacher stole that message from me, but that's all right. <laughs> Boy, I, I'm, I know that was a powerful message. Um, that's one of the beauties of Facebook. I saw he had posted something earlier and, and mentioned what he was preaching on. And that statement that you made that God never divides men horizontally, that is a, it's a powerful truth, but He does it vertically. I'm glad for the cross, aren't you? Amen. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and there's not a one of us that's any better than anybody else. Sad to say there's been times in my life where I thought it was, but the moment that I began to think that, God brought me down to size and put me in my place where I needed to be. But I'm glad that we're all... Just brothers and sisters in the Lord, whether you're in Georgia or whether you're in Kansas or whether you're around the world. I, I rejoice when I, I, I see missionaries that are in foreign areas that, that serve the Lord and worship the Lord just like we do. Just like we do. So what about all the culture and things? God is not a cultural God. He's a God of all. And the Holy Spirit that meets with us, meets there with them. And worship does not change culturally. Amen and amen. Your preacher amen me, so I know I'm okay. It doesn't change. Now there's some cultural differences, don't misunderstand me. But when I go, I've been to several mission trips, I know you have, in the various countries, there are some nuances and differences. But man, the same Spirit of God's meeting there with them. Amen and amen. All right, let's turn to Judges, if you will, now. All right, that's the real one, Judges, unless you preached there recently. <laughs> Judges chapter 2, verse 1. 
Judges chapter 11. I want to say thank you for the privilege to be here and uh, for the opportunity this, this evening. I don't take that lightly, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Appreciate your, your pastor and his family, his wife. Uh, they're, they're dear, dear people, and I know that you know that. And let me just say this while you're finding your place in Judges chapter 11. There is, uh, there is a danger for, um, for many churches, and I believe you to be one of those churches, to take for granted what God has blessed you with. And what I mean by that is this local assembly, your church. It's easy to take that for granted. It's easy to, to not realize how good God has been to you because you just are getting, you get used to how good God is. And He's good, and we say it all the time. But God really is good all the time. It's not just a saying. He really is that good, and He's that good all the time. And uh, the, the awesome preaching in August you're going to have is, is going to be amazing. Some tremendous preachers. I wish I could be here. I love the Morrison sisters. They, they sing amazing. Um, and you're going to enjoy all that great preaching. You get great preaching every week from your pastor. Let me run that by you one more time. You get great preaching every week from your pastor, your man of God, the one God has given to you. He's your gift. That's Bible. He's your gift, and God's blessed you. And don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever, don't ever say, you know, we deserve this. We don't deserve anything. God's good to us. He's good to us all the time. And I, whenever I have the privilege to speak in another man's pulpit, most often it's someone obviously that I know, and I know your pastor well enough to be able to say this from the bottom of my heart, I love your pastor and his family, his wife and his children. I love them, and if you have something negative to say, don't come say it to me. Or don't let me hear you saying it. Amen. He was talking about the unity in the deacons. That's rare. It is. A lot of division. Why is that rare in churches like ours? Because the devil's trying to destroy churches like ours. He don't care about the other kind of churches. He's after our churches. So he'll divide and try to, to create any kind of division he can. And if he doesn't get the pastor, his wife, he'll work his way down. And he'll, he'll get anything he can to create a division in the church body. And, and you need to be careful of that. and Make sure that you love your preacher. You love God and love your preacher and his family. You won't go wrong. Amen and amen. I'll amen myself if I need to. <laughs> Judges chapter 11. If you will, let's all stand if you're willing and able for the reading of God's Word. I preached this message this morning at my home church, and I really was struggling with preaching it again. You didn't hear it, but I did. Um, but I just believe it's what the Lord has for us this evening. And there's a great truth that we're going to look at here in, in the story of Jephthah. And you know the story of Jephthah and his vow, and the context of what went in. We're going to look at this as a whole and draw some principles. But I want to, if I had to title the message this evening, it would be this, The Cost of Victory. The cost of victory. Everything has a cost. What's it cost to win? What's it cost to live on that winning side and to have the Lord? Not just to possess the salvation He gives us. But as the Bible says in, in the book of John, to know Him and the power of His resurrection. 
The cost of victory. We'll see this in Jephthah's life. We'll just read a few verses because we're going to really go through the, the, the kind of look through the whole chapter tonight. So let's just read a few verses and then we'll, we'll be done. Notice with me in verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over into the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever doth or whatsoever cometh forth at the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on the message tonight. Father, we love you. We do thank you for this time together. In your word, what a precious thing to be able to gather and look into your word and to learn and to glean and to grow. Lord, help us to rightly divide the word tonight. Help us to be uh, studious in our understanding. But Lord, help us to be challenged in our heart and our lives. Lord, speak to each and every individual heart. You know the need. And Lord, I ask you to do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> now to begin, we need to go back to the beginning and kind of set the context. This is where we're going to really get into the message, but really these first 28 verses we need to look at by way of introduction to kind of help set the context of what we're going to see tonight. One of the things that happens to every last, every last one of us is this. We all go through trials. Trials are absolutely just part of life. If you say, I'm going to quit living the Christian life so I can not have to worry about trials, um, that's not a very smart thing because the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And so no matter what you do, you're going to face trials. Uh, saved people get cancer. Unsaved people get cancer. Unsaved people go through divorces. Saved people go through divorces. Unsaved people uh, do things wrong on their job or are mistreated on their job. Saved people are mistreated on their job. We all go through the same things. Life happens unto us all. And so as you go through these trials, part of how you and I walk with the Lord on a consistent basis specifically has to deal with how we deal with those trials. Now, in those trials, trials many times are looked at as problems. I enjoy looking at trials when I, when I, when I choose to as opportunities. It's an opportunity for God to get honor and glory through something in my life that I would not have otherwise had the privilege to draw others' attention to Him had I not had the opportunity to go through that trial. It changes everything. It changes the outlook. It changes the purpose. It changes the meaning. It changes your resolve when you're doing it for the Lord. It's an opportunity. Number two, I think the trials make us stronger. They grow us. Preacher, why am I going through this trial? Why am I struggling with this? Well, God's trying to do something. There's so many facets, so many things that can transpire through the course of a trial. And God is not only trying to do something over here, maybe for a friend or a family member or, or a co-worker or, or, or in the church, but He's also trying to do something in your life or maybe in your marriage or in your child. And there's so many angles by which the Holy Spirit of God is working and trials help strengthen us. But they also fortify our principles. Preacher, what do you mean? It takes the things that we say we believe and it fortifies that in us to whether we either really believe it or we're just saying something that is meaningless. Man, when you go through those trials, you find out if you really believe that, hey, walking by faith is the right way. 
If it really is important that you read your Bible and pray every day. It fortifies the very things that you say you believe. As we look at Jephthah here, we look into the beginning of Jephthah's life and notice how it begins in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. Let's stop and look at that for just a moment. He was a mighty man of valor. Can I say this? You and I ought to be known for something. If God was writing His Word today, how would God describe you? What would He say? Now, I know we all want to hear, well done, don't misunderstand me, that's not what I'm talking about. How would God describe you? I think of certain people in my church, and in our church we have people that are known for their love for the children on the bus. We have folks that are known for their ability to, to do whatever, whenever, however. We have folks that enjoy teaching kindergarten. Hallelujah, not me. I try to tell our folks and, and, and people, I, I would never ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. But when it comes to those little kids' classes, I might have to draw a line right there. I'll clean me a toilet or two or three or four, but them children, that's just not my cup of tea. Somebody say amen right there. Nobody said amen right there. Y'all all love it. You got all these children's workers you need because they all love it. But watch this. He was known for something. What would God write of you in such a verse? What would He say about you? He said of Jephthah that Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. Now this is interesting because he did not become this mighty man of valor by accident. He became this mighty man because of the things in his life that brought him to this point. Some of you grew up in ways where your childhood, your circumstances, your schooling, your parents, their proclivities drove you to a certain thing that you may or may not have necessarily chosen on your own. Here we see that this man was called by God a mighty man of valor. Notice the second thing that he describes him as. He was also the son of an harlot. Now what a beginning. What a beginning. My mama was a harlot. My dad was a great man, Gilead. But my mama was a harlot. Now watch this. We're going to see in just a few moments as we keep walking through this text that his family and others around him did not like him because he wasn't one of the family. Now, I know that, 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 that divorce has, has destroyed many, many homes. And divorce is not something that uh, uh, is... It's, it's in the church as well. And there could be many of you here tonight that have been through the pains of divorce. If you haven't, you know somebody who has. And you know the struggle and you know the difficulties and you know the problems that it can cause and all of those things that come with that. And here, there wasn't a divorce, but it was as if this was a stepchild that nobody loved. Oh, he was, he was the one born of an harlot. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw something at you and I'm going to get away from it real quick. And I'm going to let you do the Bible study if you want to. And one of the things I was studying and reading on this, one commentator made this potential thought. He just threw it out there like I'm about to. He said, I wonder if this could be either someone like Rahab. Remember, Rahab was an 
harlot. Joshua, Judges, you get in the picture? Can I tell you, the Lord loves us all. I don't know what your background is. Some of you have grown up in church your whole life. Some of you probably haven't. Some of you may have not been something that, you may not be able to say, I'm proud of my heritage. Can I tell you, you're just the same as the rest of anybody else. Remember what preacher said, the sin of partiality? I think it goes in line right here with everything he just said this morning. Now, he was the son of an harlot. No, notice the next part. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Now, watch this. Verse 2, And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our fathers in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Now watch this. They had the same dad. Now, just help me out if I'm wrong here. The inheritance comes through the male, through the husband's line, more than the wife's. Those things are passed on through the male. In that essence, in that understanding, legally, he was as much a son as they were. But he was an outcast to them. We'll talk about potential reasons why and some things, but just notice that is important because this is how the family felt about him. Verse number three, Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. Now, he leaves, he is thrust out of his land. He leaves the, uh, the land of Gilead. He goes around and he's looking for a place to land and he lands in a place called Tob. Tob is, uh, geographically, it is in the north uh, eastern side. If you're looking at the state of Israel, it's not in Israel. You go northeast outside of Israel, and that is where Tob is. So he's close, but he's outside of the land of Israel. And he is there. He's making a life for himself. Now watch this. We are going to find him again as an adult man. What did verse 1 say he was? A mighty man of what? Of valor. He was a man's man. He knew how to fight. He knew how to use his hands. He was skilled in dealing with swords and probably bows of some sort. He knew how to battle. Let's just run this by maybe our homes. You and your wife have a bunch of children. Somewhere in your past or your wife's past, there was a child born out of of, of, uh, not of the union of your marriage. That child was there. The family didn't like him. Now here's the thing that's, that's questioning, we don't know, preacher, is, okay, did the, did the kids just not like him and, and want, not want to divide the inheritance? Was that what it was? Was mama bitter? By the way, our children pick up on a lot of things we never say. A lot of things we never verbalize. Our children know about us. Was mama bitter and did did her bitterness rub off on those children and thus uh, cause them to want to get rid of, of Jephthah? We don't know. We don't know the scenario. But watch this. The family did not want him there for whatever reason. We see no restraint from dad or mom saying, no, don't thrust him out. But he goes and he leaves and he's in this land of Tob. Now notice this next part of verse number 3. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. Now, I, I'm preaching to a church that I believe knows the Bible fairly well. Does anybody else ring a bell as you just saw that? 
Who else went out and was dwelling in a cave and had, had vain men gathered unto him? Who was it? Of course it was. It was David. There's a similarity here as Jephthah was thrown out of his homeland. David thrust out of his homeland. He's dwelling in caves. Jephthah's in top. And all of a sudden, vain men begin to gather. Now watch this. Part of, of Jephthah's uh, um, character is displayed here because he was a natural leader. In other words, he naturally drew men to himself. That's, an, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a help, a blessing when it comes to leadership that when God gifts a man to be able to naturally draw other men to follow so something can be accomplished. Here's David. David is, is running for his life. He's in a cave and all these men come to him. Now what does David do with those men? David eventually turns those men into his mighty men. Those men that go out and were destroying and were conquering, those three mighty men that would one day cross the Philistine encampment twice to simply get him a drink of water. Those men met David in that cave that day. And here's Jephthah, and these men are being gathered unto him. Now notice with me as we carry on, it said, and it came to pass in verse number four, in the process of time. I like those two phrases. Can I tell you, it will come to pass. And in the process of time. Are you going through a difficult time tonight? It will come to pass. Are you having a hard trial you're going through? It will pass. How? I don't know. What will be the outcome? I do not know. But what, what can you tell? I can't say anything to you about it. I can't decide that for myself in my own difficulties, in my own trials. But I do know this, things do come to pass. How many times do we see this, 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 this thought uh, throughout Scripture all the time? It comes to pass, it comes to pass, it comes to pass. Things come to pass. By the way, so do the good times. Someone once said that, 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 that it seems like the, the minutes seem to crawl, but the years fly by. You, you, you sit and you, you, know, you look at man, this, this is taking forever. I mean, you're sitting, you're waiting on somebody, you're, you're just doing through your normal life, but turn around and next thing you know, where'd the years go? Things come to pass. Time continues to move on. But notice he goes on and says that the children of Amnon made war against Israel. All right, guess what? The world, the flesh, and the devil are the three things that we battle all the time. Right? Those three things will always find you and make war against you. I do not care how long you've been saved. I do not care how old you are. The temptations may change, but the fact that temptations will always be there at any stage of our life, young or old. The, the, the enemy always finds you. And once again, here comes the enemy. The children of Ammon made war against Israel. Now we're going to try to hasten through this. But he says here now that they're coming to make war and these guys are not ready for war. They don't want war, but they remembered. We know somebody who almost likes war. It's our brother. Now watch this. They knew. If you go down and keep reading, and it was so, verse 5, when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. Watch this. They knew where Jephthah was. Now, there's a lot that could be inferred here. We want to stick with the Word of God and only say what it says. But there's a lot by way of just natural inference that could be looked at here as, as plausible 
to why they knew where he was. I will say this. People that hate you or that are bitter against you or that don't like you to this kind of a degree, they can't get you out of their mind. They know where you're at. You want to know why so many people probably literally hate your pastor? Because they're bitter because he stood up as a man of God and told them the truth. And they got bitter and mad against him, yea, against God, but they hold it against him. Now I'll tell you, they know exactly where he's at. But you watch this. Just like his brethren did, when they finally come and realize they have an enemy bigger than themselves, you know where they're going to run. They're going to come right back to where they know there's a man of God willing to fight. That's a good place to say amen right there. Be thankful God's given you a preacher that's not running from the fight. He's not looking to pick one, but he ain't running from one. Amen. Here they come, and they come to, 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 to find Jephthah, verse 6, and they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Amnon. They said, We want you to come be our leader. He said, Well, all right. Jephthah said, verse 7, to the elder of Gilead, Did, did ye not hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you coming to me now when you are in distress? Did you notice this? There was an acknowledgement that he was still family. And there was acknowledgement by him that he was family. Now we're going to see this later, but there's one thing Jephthah knew, preacher. He knew who he was. And can I just make this application and we'll move on? You and I need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Because we're going to see in a moment how the, how the enemy works against the nation of Israel is the same way the enemy works against you and I. And if we don't know who we are in Christ and we don't know where we're supposed to stand and how we're supposed to stand and we don't know what victory is, we will struggle and we'll not be like Jephthah. We'll be like Israel that was looking for somebody to help them. Keep reading. Notice he says, um, verse uh, uh, 8, they asked him to come and go with them. Verse 9, and Jephthah said to the elders, If ye bring me home again, notice he said home again, and fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? The elders of Gilead uh, said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so according to thy word. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. Now here's what I like, verse, verse 11, the latter part. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. He uttered all these words. Now watch this. When you and I are facing an enemy that we don't know a lot about, we don't necessarily know how big they are, but we know it's a battle, and we know it's going to be a big one. The first thing Jephthah did, this is important later because it speaks to his character, the first thing he did is the first thing you and I should do, and that's take it to the Lord. We should always go to the Lord. You see, why, why has God become for the average Christian, why has God become our fallback plan? When He should be the first person that we go to. And He should be the only person that we go to. The Lord is our God. He will fight our battles. My yoke is easy and burden is light, He said. 
He said, no, you're going to have to do your part. God wants you to prepare as Jephthah was prepared. God wants you to do all the things that, that you're supposed to do. But when it comes down to it, he was prepared. He was called a mighty man of valor. He was able and ready to go. But he realized the battle's the Lord's. You know, America's a strong nation. But don't you dare think that there's not an AI out there that can destroy us. Oh, we have a great military. I, I have the privilege to serve in a military town. Privilege to serve in a military town. Soldiers come and go from our church all the time, and it's a, it's a, it's a blessing, but it's also a blight sometimes. We love to see them come. We hate seeing them go. But now we have friends and, and, and Christians all over the world right now as a result of it. I can tell you this, as strong as our military is, it's God that gives us the victory. Amen. I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but America has a Christian foundation no matter what they're trying to do to change the history books. America still had the same foundation that we know she had no matter how they're trying to change it. But here we see that, 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 that Jephthah comes and then he comes before the Lord in verse 11. Now in verses 12 through 28, we're not going to read it all and go point by or go, go verse by verse just for time's sake. But here's the basic, basis of what happens. Now Jephthah's taken charge. Now the battle's about to ensue. And in this battle, there's going to be messengers sent back and forth. And it's kind of the, the volley. It's kind of the, the pregame, if you will, before the war gets on. Nowadays, we have different types of communication. Those days, they had to send back and forth. And basically, what happened is the children of Ammon basically charged Israel with having their land. You know what Jephthah said? Jephthah said, no, it's not your land, it's our land. Now, notice with me, he said in verse 15, And he said to them, thus said Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness in the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messages and he goes on and he says, listen, we conquered you. We beat you. We have the victory. It's our land. And then they write back and say, no, it's our land. And that's the purpose, that's the reason for the battle. Notice verse 24. Notice the wisdom of Jephthah in verse 24 in his response. He says, Wilt, that, wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them we will possess. Stay with me and watch this. This is important. Let's apply this to our life in, the Christ, in, in this New Testament dispensation of grace that we live in. You watch this. You gain victory in your life for Christ. God gives you victory over this or victory over this and, he, and you begin to see you're taking some ground away from the devil in your heart and in your life and you begin to see God moving and working. Let me ask you, whose ground was it before? Now watch. You know what the devil does? He'll come to you and he'll say, hey, that was my land. That was my land. Give it back to me. That's my land. And he will scare you. He will do all manner of things to cause you to want to listen Give up the victory you already won. He'll want to take back the land that you and God got victory over. Now watch this. Some of us, we hate political correctness when it comes to government and politics. You with me on that one? Can I submit to many of us 
I believe many Christians are so politically correct themselves that they're willing to just give up land because the devil wants to claim it back because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. When he went in, the Bible said, and throughout the Old Testament, it said to utterly do what? Destroy all. I don't think many of us would make it in the Old Testament. Everybody okay? Why did Saul have the kingdom rent from him? Many reasons. But if you look in that last battle he went to, remember he brought back some of the, the best things? And the Bible says that Saul died, this is, this is Scripture, for his disobedience. What was his disobedience? He did not utterly destroy all. And many of us don't have victory in our life, not because we don't want it, but because we're not ready or willing to utterly destroy all. Because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Maybe we'll understand. Let's say you have a good kid. Okay, a really good kid right here. And over here you have a, a really good kid. Two good kids. You're with me so far? But when you take these two kids and put them together, something between them doesn't work and they get in trouble and it's not good. Everybody okay? Have you ever seen this happen? I hope so, because I've seen it a lot. Good kids, don't misunderstand me. Good kids, good homes. But together, they just, they just get in trouble. Some of us are so politically correct that we're willing to allow our child to go on and do things that they would never have done outside of the influence of that other child because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. How about an adult, grown-up conversation that, Brother Cofield, my boy's a good boy and your boy's a good boy, but together they're just, they're just getting in trouble. And you see it, I see it. I think we don't need to let them hang out together. I love you. I pray for your son every day. But for some reason, together, they're just not good. I think we need to try to keep them separated. That would offend you if somebody can, how dare they say that about me? Next thing you know, you're all over Facebook and you done left the church. That's right. yeah. Because you're too stinking politically correct. Right. That's the same principle, just worded differently. Right. Now, I'm not saying you run around and tell everybody, oh, my kid can hang. I'm not saying, but I'm trying to prove the point to you. Sometimes we, we want to have so much tact, we never make contact. That's my boy. I am responsible for my child, not yours. And if my child is hindered in his walk with Christ by some other good child, because together it doesn't work, by all means, I'm putting my child over here. I'm not leaving the church. I'm not leaving the family of God over it. But what to God would grow up and be adults about it and have an adult conversation and realize that this is not the best situation, but we need to handle it the right way. Amen. Hey, one thing I enjoy about Kansas is there's not a whole lot of Baptist churches. I'm just being honest. One of the problems in the South where I grew up, and like I drove down Doug Gap Road, there's Baptist churches everywhere. 
You get mad, you don't like something, you go, and by the way, it'd be a good church. Out there where we is, you just got to actually apply what you know in the Word of God and work through problems or you ain't got nowhere to go. Preacher, I had a guy leave our church, and I say this respectfully because he's still in my church. I love him dearly. I pray for him daily. But he left our church for a period of time because he didn't like all the shouting and the amening and the praying out loud and things like that. It bothered him. He grew up in a situation where it was a little bit different. And it grieved him. He came to me and said, Pastor, I cannot find one thing wrong in Scripture with what we're doing as a church, but it just bothers me. He spent six months looking for a church. He couldn't find one. And the Lord brought him back. He's a dear man, a dear servant of the Lord. But sometimes it's good to just have to work through the things the right way. Everybody okay this evening? Jephthah is in this, in this struggle the enemy is coming to him, and if he was not confident that that was his land, if he did not know his heritage and his history, he'd have given that land back up like most people would. But he said, no, this is our land. God gave it to me. Keep reading, if you will. And he goes on, and he uh, get into verse 29. Now, in verse 29 is where... We really want to look at this, and we'll, we'll hasten through this. I know we spent a little bit of time in the introduction, but notice in verse 29, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. We're talking about the cost of victory, if you will. I want you to notice with me, number one, personal relationship. There has to be a personal relationship. Preacher, what do you mean? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now, I believe most of us in here know the difference between Old Testament and New Testament in relation to the Spirit of God and us as His creation. In the Old Testament, did the Spirit of God indwell the believer? The answer is no. That's one of the differences between an Old Testament and a New Testament saint is the indwelling Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Spirit of God would come upon an individual, a believer, and do specific things through that individual as if he was being indwelt, although he was not. Here, if you, the Spirit of God would only come upon one that was a child of God and one that was right with God. One that was trying to serve God with all of his life. The way I can apply it to us is I have the indwelling Holy Spirit right now because I am saved, but there are times in my life where I am not filled with the Spirit and I don't have the power of God in my life like I can have if I will live filled with the Spirit and live yielded to the Spirit and be able to battle and fight the enemy by the Spirit. Here, he had a personal relationship. Number one, you got to be saved. You want to know why some of you aren't getting any victory? Because you're not even saved. You're not even saved. Yeah, well, preacher, I mean, look around here. All the, listen, you and I have all been in church long enough to know not everybody in church is saved. Ooh, who is it? Who is it? I don't know, and it's not my job to know. I can't look at anybody's heart any more than you can, but God knows. And if you're here tonight and you know that you're not saved, obviously you know. You have to have a personal relationship to win. Number two, we see personal surrender. The Bible goes on and says that he passed over Gil and he goes into the battle. He's going to the battle that God has put him in place to go to. There is personal relationship, but there is personal surrender as well. We often get to this point of salvation and then we stop. 
We do not go to this area of personal surrender. Now please understand me. If there has been a time in your life where you said, Lord, I surrender all, and you said, I give my all to you, Lord, I say, praise God, but I say, you got to keep doing it. It's not a one-time thing. You have to die daily. You have to yield to the Spirit of God daily. You have to walk in the Spirit so you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is a surrender that comes in the life of a believer that's something that must be done all the time or you will in a weak moment lose the victory and not win it. There was personal surrender. He was willing to do what God wanted him to do. Number three, there was a personal vow. Notice it says in verse number 30, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord. It's personal. I'm not going to spend a lot of time preaching on vows, but most of us know enough to know that when the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it's better not to vow a vow than vow and not pay it. He said, don't do it. He said, defer not to pay it. In other words, let your word be your bond. Some of you grew up in a day where you didn't have to sign your life away to, 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 to own a cell phone. Stack a paper this high just to, to buy a house, to sell a car or something. You just shook hands and said, done deal. Those days were a whole lot simpler, weren't they? Nowadays, you can't, I'm telling you, you can't trust people in the house of God nowadays. Amen, preacher. I, I mean, it'll it split churches. What people in the house of God will do one to another. He vowed, he vowed. Now listen, when you promise God something, you better make sure you know what you're doing and you better make sure you're going to pay whatever it is you promised. God's always kept His Word. Never once has He failed to do what He said He would do. And so Jephthah made this vow. It was personal. Number four, notice the personal request. He said, I'm going to make a vow. Here's my vow. Here's the request. He said, if... Thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands. Then it shall be. He said, Lord, I'm asking you for the victory. Now I want to I kind of help us understand some of this because I think this is important. I want to be very careful. I won't let your preacher deal with this. But there, there's, there's an understanding today that, that you, know, you better be careful about even making vows. I'm not talking about wedding vows and things like that, but I mean vows to God. I'm not saying don't ever vow anything to the Lord. But I'm saying there, there's something to making a vow unto the Lord. How many here like hunting? Okay, a few of you. I, I live in a land where hunting's real good. Hunting in Kansas is amazing. I, hunt, I grew up hunting in Alabama. You could kill three deer a day. For three months with a gun. In Kansas, preacher, you got to use a bow. You get, you get 10 day gun season, you got to use a bow and you get one buck a year. That's it. I'm going to tell you, it produces some amazing bucks. I mean, it's, I got a wall I'm proud of. I love it. I love hunting out there. It's wonderful. I love it. Here, he made a vow to God. How many times have I been sitting in the woods? Oh, dear God, if you'll bring 190, 200 class deer by, I will. Oh, God, please. These are your creation. Don't look at me like you never prayed that prayer in the woods, gentlemen. 
Lord, these are your creation. You control them. What, what would it hurt or why would you bless me, your child who serves you? Get, boy, you get to praying good in them woods. Now, a little bit of humor, but watch this. You and I better be careful what we vow unto God. Now, here's the question. I want to answer it in a minute scripturally, but I want to put the question out to us now. People have asked, Preacher, was this vow right? Did, did Jephthah, was he right in making this vow? Should he have never made that vow? Look at what it cost him. Okay, let's keep reading. Notice it was personal in his request, but notice it was personal in his offering. In verse 31 he says this, Then it shall be that whoso, or excuse me, whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's. It was personal. He said, whatever comes out of, watch this, my house. My house. Now, I want you to catch one word, and I'm just going to give you the word, and we're going to keep moving. But I want you to catch one word, and this, we're going to come back to it. He said, look at verse 31, Then it shall be that, next word, well, what's the word? Whatsoever. Okay, let's, let's move on. But it was a personal offering. Notice personal assurance. Number next, he said there, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon. He said, Lord, I know you can give me the victory. I know you want me to have the victory. So when I return, I am personally assured that I will return because God, I have faith in you. And listen to me. There are too many of us that live defeated Christian lives when God designed the Christian life to be a life of victory. We have everything we need to succeed, to use that word loosely, to, to, to be what God wants us to be and to have victory over everything in our life that God wants us to have victory. And the only reason we do not live in victory is because we choose not to. I choose. I am the product of my decisions whether I like it or not. I am the sum total of all the decisions I have made in my life, whether I want to agree with those decisions or I want to ascend to the fact that they were mine, I am the, I am the product of what I have decided. So I don't like that, preacher. I don't like it either sometimes. There's a lot of things I wish I could go back and change. But I can't. I'm, I'm here because of the decisions I've made. And if you don't like that, then change your decision process. Amen. How? Get the victory. But it's going to cost you. You say, well, I just, I want to be like my pastor. Man, what a great man of God. I want, I want to be faithful like him. I want to serve like him. I want to have his zeal and his fire. Can I tell you, dear friend, and I believe we all know this, this doesn't happen by accident. A marriage like this doesn't happen by accident. It's done on purpose. It's done because you're willing to fight the good fight of faith. It's personal in his offering. Personal in his assurance. Notice it was personal in his sacrifice. He said there at the last part of verse 31, I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Notice the Christian life is extremely personal. I know this happens here because I grew up door knocking in the South, but even out in the Midwest. Hi, my name is Stephen Henderson. I'm the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church, and we're just out here in your area today. I wanted to know if you had a, 
had a home church. Well, yeah, we do. What church you go to? Wonderful, great. Praise the Lord for that. Let me ask you this. If you die today, do you know for sure you're saved? That's none of your business. Slam. You won't get offended when I ask you where you go to church. When I ask you if you're saved, you get offended? That's a, here's what we always hear. That's a personal question. That's so sweet sounding. If anybody's ever asked me, am I married? I have never said, that's a personal question. Do you have any children? That's a personal question. I'm thankful. I'm proud to announce that I'm married. I'm proud to announce. Listen, when I said yes to Rebecca, I said no to 3.5 plus billion women in this world. Amen. I'm not ashamed of it. Here, Jephthah passed over. God gave him the victory. Wonderful. Watch this. God did what He said He would do. Surprise. Shock. Why is it so many times in our Christian life, we're amazed at what God, when God did what He said He would do? I have asked the Lord so many times, and I don't, don't ever, I'm not ever trying to get over the awe of God and the wonder of God. Don't misunderstand me. But preachers, sometimes I'm like, Lord, would you help me grow up enough to not the where I lose the awe and wonder of you, but that I don't, I don't sit back and go, I can't believe God did that again. He's just doing what He said He would do. That would be like, the Bible says, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more the heavenly father? That would be like when I did something nice for my children, that my children, oh, Dad, I can't believe you were that nice again to us. I'm like, what are you talking about? I want to do that for you. And we get so overwhelmed that God did what He said He was going to do. Now, I stand in awe of God that He can do what He says He would do, but the fact that He does what He said He was going to do ought to be something that we enjoy on a regular basis. And it's not just this every once in a while we get recharged because God kept His Word. He's always keeping His Word. So Jephthah goes out, he gets the victory. Now, it's payment time. In verse 33, the Bible describes the victory. Now watch this. Utterly destroy all, that's the way God said it in the Old Testament. Verse 33, what does it say? A very great slaughter. That means there was a very great slaughter. That means they, they did the deed. They did everything they were supposed to do. God gave them the victory. And listen, I said this a minute ago, but many of us struggle with victory in our lives because we do not get complete victory. We stop short. Several kids got saved at, at teen camp. And that's wonderful. Some of them young. Some of them not really church kids. Needed to get saved the way we think sometimes. Some of them were church kids and deacons kids and preachers kids that got saved. And one thing Brother Stroud said is he said, you need to make it public. You want to know why? 
Because a lot of those kids, if they're not willing to make it public, they'll just run and hide again. And here's what he said. He said, and what you'll find yourself doing is struggling with assurance the rest of your life. Now going public with your profession of faith doesn't save us, and we know that. But what it does is it helps cement in us the fact that this is what I did, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life. Now by way of conclusion, let's look at verse 34 and following will be done. Jephthah came to Mizpah to his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child, and beside her he had neither son nor daughter. The first thing that came out was, whom? Answer the question, who was it? Whom? It was his daughter. Remember the word that we looked at earlier? He said, whatsoever cometh out. People ask this question all the time with this passage. Did Jephthah kill his daughter? Did he sacrifice her as a burnt offering that day? Is that what he did? I'm here to declare to you based on the truth of God's Word, the answer is no, he did not. Why is that, preacher? Number one, because it had been murder. Number two, you find one time where God ever required anybody to kill somebody as a burnt sacrifice. Ooh, ooh, I know, I know, Abraham and Isaac, right? Yeah, Abraham and Isaac. And how'd that turn out? It wasn't that God said, this is what I want you to do, this is the standard for worship. It was God saying, are you willing to obey me no matter what, even if you don't understand? And last time I checked, God provided a ram in the thicket. Amen! But notice, Isaac's willingness to say, Dad, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay. His daughter comes out, and you're going to see a willingness. The same as in Isaac. But I want you to watch this. The Bible says that when she came home, or when he came home, she met him at the door. Can I say this, this is a good thing for you young um, Mothers to teach your children. When daddy comes home from work, you ought to train your children to be at the door waiting for daddy. My wife did that for me, and it was a blessing, preacher. When I'd come home from a day at work, at church studying, or out visiting, or various things, I'd come home and there were my kids waiting on me. That's a whole lot better than coming in the door, you need to whoop this one, and spank this one, and deal with this one. It's a whole lot better. And most of us know about the nation of Israel. Their music is joyful, is it not? She met him with what? Timbrel and what? Dances. Now that'll ruin a spirit in a Baptist church real quick. Start talking about dancing. I, I deal with, I've preached that message out of David, where David danced before the Lord. How to worship through criticism was how I titled that. How you got to worship in his own wife's criticizing his dance before the Lord. This was not a sensual dance. Jewish music is not sensual. It is happy. It's kind of like a, a list. Just, it'll cause you to, to move. And that's not wrong. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about dancing around. I'm not talking about contemporary worship. I'm not but I'm talking about sometimes it's alright in your flesh to enjoy the emotion of a moment when it is guarded by the Word of God. 
Man, I'm glad when I look at my wife, I still say, hallelujah. Some of y'all need to get that back in your relationship. Listen, you don't live on emotions. I get that. Somebody said emotions are like desserts. They're wonderful to eat, but you can't live on it. If you do, you'll be malnutritioned. For the believer, you can't live on your emotions. If you do, you'll be malnutritioned spiritually. But when you divorce yourself from your emotion, you become liturgical. You become dead. Preacher, I've I've never seen emotionalism kill a church, but I have seen formalism. Well, we just don't do it that way. It do some of us real good if we just smile every once in a while in church. We're sitting here singing the songs of Zion. Where's the y'all have a I don't see a song list. What was one of the songs y'all sang tonight? We sang tonight. Somebody, where's my song leader, man? Huh? I have a home beyond the river. I have a home beyond the river. Boy, you sound convincing. And you wonder why your children don't want anything to do with your God. My children this morning, I, I love to hear my kids sing, and they sang a song this morning in church. And uh, it's, a, it's a song called, That's My God. Some of you may know that. That's my God, and I love Him. That's my Jesus, He died for me. For all the world to hear, I'll say it loud and clear. That's my God, that's my God. Lord, send a revival. Church, we're laughing, but it's sad. Oh, victory in Jesus. You know why we sing it that way? Because we're tired of singing it, because we've sang it so many times. But why should we get tired of something that draws us to the Lord? That's based on doctrine in His Word. You know how many times I've read the Bible, and so have you? I've never walked away and said, man, that's old. It's always fresh and alive and new. Amen. I got new man every day. His daughter came out with timbrels and dances. Why? They won. The news had come ahead and we won. Hey, we're winners. We won the victory in Christ. We ought to rejoice. And so she's rejoicing. But I want you to notice this about her. She listened. I, believe, I believe in context as you look through this, I think she was a young lady who listened to her parents. How so? Well, she came out, and I believe, I believe Mama had something to do with it. You know, children, for the most part, as they grow, obviously they grow into adulthood, but for the most part with kids, they will do what you expect of them, and they will do what they do to please you. Somebody said when you have a child, it's like a, it's like a clean slate. and whatever, whatever markings you put on it is how they will turn out. There had to be influence of dad and mom. We've already looked at Jephthah's character. We're going to see it again in a minute. 
But notice, she was his only child. Verse 35, And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. He realizes the very moment he sees his daughter, it was not a whatsoever, it was a whosoever that came. Now in that very moment, this is what took place. I only say this because I am a dad. I understand this very little, but I believe I have a small understanding of it. It was his only child. And at that very moment, preacher, he knew what it was going to cost him. And what it cost him, humanly speaking, was grandchildren. What was very big in those days? Heritage. Now, he obviously did not have a male child. But heritage was almost everything in those days. And in that moment, it was gone. Oh, daughter, you brought me low. Verse 36, And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. So watch this. I believe she, she listened to her mom. Number two, I believe that she knew the law. Now this says something, that you knew the law. Alright, if I were to do this this, this this evening, I won't do this, but if I had every child in here 16 and under stand up, would those children know what that book that you mom and dad say you love, would they know what it says? We think of people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, taken away from their homes at early ages as teenage, young teenagers, we believe. But yet those men, even though the vast majority of the Israelite children that went away did not serve God, those four stood because they knew the law. This young lady knew the law. As soon as she knew her dad had made a vow, her immediate, listen, her immediate response. That says a lot about her character. Her immediate response was, Father, if you vow to the Lord, do to me whatever it is. How many of us are that submitted unto God? That if our authority made a decision that altered our life in an unchangeable way, that we would say, be it unto me. If I can just be honest, I don't think there's very many of us here that would do that. Just being honest. Preacher, I, I gave this illustration this morning. My daughter rehearsed this to me. She talked to a, a young lady at camp. And this young lady at camp, she's in a really good church, loves the Lord. She was headed on a mission trip. She'd already paid for a ticket. She was headed on that mission trip. Her pastor got under a burden for her. And it was kind of one of those things that was just unique. It was kind of unexplainable. And he came to her and said, listen, he said, for some reason the Lord's leading me in this, I believe that you don't need to go to this mission trip. And instead, I believe you need to go and you need to visit this Christian college and consider going there instead. She'd already paid for her ticket. That's a lot of money, mom and dad, right? Y'all with me? For a mission trip. I believe this church loves missions. Our saying at our church, missionaries are our heroes. 
I, to me, uh, I tell our people, don't you let your kids put posters of athletes and music and TV stars on their walls. You let them put missionary prayer cards on their walls. Let them, let them booger the whole thing up with staples. Let them put missionaries. Amen. Missionaries are, she was going on a missions trip. But her pastor, her authority came and said, I just believe this is of God that you need to do this. No refund. She said, yes sir, I'll go. She didn't go to the missions trip. She went and visited this college. She now attends this college. She has met a young man that's an amazing young man. And they're in the beginning stages of courtship. Now here's what my mind says and probably yours. Couldn't she have done that at a different time? Couldn't it have been a different way? Here's what my mind does not know. What God saved her from on a mission trip. Or the timing of how things came together for where He wanted her. But watch this. If she and her parents had not been willing to submit to the man of God in their life. And I know, I know that chafes a lot of people. The reason it chafes you is because you don't want anybody having control over you. And you're no different than an ecumenical believer. Because that's the whole point of the ecumenical movement. Is we, just want, we don't want any local church authority. We don't want any accountability. We just want to do what we want to do because we're believers and we just want to answer to Jesus ourselves. It's pitiful. That's the way a lot of us independent Baptists act even though we know better. She submitted herself to a preacher. And as of right now, God's lined her up for an amazing life because she was willing to submit to her authority. Now I know most of us in here are adults. Pastor's not looking to micromanage your life. But he is God's man in this church and for you. He's to watch for your souls. He doesn't know the right answer. He doesn't know God's will for your life. Don't misunderstand me. But there are times when God will put a burden on him to help you with. Or if you'll come and receive counsel from your preacher, ask your preacher before you make major life decisions, you'll be amazed at what God will do when you put yourself under the right authority. Amen. This young daughter said, Dad, it's okay. Dad's bemoaning the fact of what it's going to cost him. Her initial... By the way, you want to talk about character? What do little girls dream of? Wedding days. Big white flowing dresses. All the decorations. What are the bridesmaids going to wear? And all the, the beauty of the wedding. Here, this probably teenage age girl of some sort, all of that's now gone. Okay, Dad. Notice with, notice with me the next thought. Here it says in verse 39, For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Amnon. I want you to watch this. She understood. She, she listened to her mom. She knew the law, but she understood the cause. She said this was, the cause was the Lord gave us victory. If I can be real honest with us, most of us aren't willing to pay the cost to have victory. We're just not. But she was willing to sacrifice her very life. Not the life to breathe, but her life, the rest of her life, 
She was willing to say, it'll not be my own. For the cause of Christ. Don't we laud the missionaries? Don't we praise the missionaries that go? Don't we have books written about missionaries that went to foreign fields and never saw one soul died at the hands of cannibals, but their family goes back and the entire tribe is now one to Christ? Don't we talk about them all the time? Don't we say what great Christians they were? But none of us want to be like them. Amen. It's good reading for when I need something to read instead of watching TV. Oh, wonderful. But not, not me, Lord. And here's what amazes me, preacher, that she said this immediately. Her first response was not, Dad, what have you done? Her first response was, Oh, Dad, if you've the Lord, be it unto me, because I know this is for the cause. Can I say this to all of us here? I'm not a member of this church, but I do know this. The cause of Christ is bigger than that man right there. The cause of Christ is bigger than his sweet wife. The cause of Christ is greater than any deacon here. Any staff member. The cause of Christ is bigger. It is greater than any member of this church. 1 Corinthians talks about how we're the church. We're a body fitly joined together. Y'all with me tonight? It's fitly joined together. Listen, nobody wants to be the toe, but somebody has to be the toe. Nobody wants to be the knee, but somebody's got to be the knee. Why? For the cause of Christ. Somebody has to be willing not to be the one out front, not to be the right hand, not to be the face, not to be the, the this or the that. Somebody has to be willing to be part of the body of Christ as God deems you to be and willing to say, Lord, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Use me however you want me to be used. If you want me to have a life of this, okay, Lord, if it's for your cause, I'll do it. Lord, if you want me to have a life of this, whatever it is, I, I want happiness, but, but maybe I'll have to find my joy in you instead of my circumstances. Okay, God, I'll do it. She knew the cause was a lot bigger than her. I'm going to tell you, that didn't happen just in a mess up of a reaction. It happened because of her character. Do I have that kind of character? Do you? Let's hasten and we'll be done. Notice the last few verses here. He says here in verse um, 37, And she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Hello. Notice the word choice. We believe in an every word Bible. Amen. King James only. y'all. Amen. Every word's inspired. Every word's for us. She didn't say to me, she said for me. You notice that's how it's her perspective? God didn't do this to me. Why'd God do this to me? No, He did it for you. This little girl said He did it for me. Keep going, He says, and, and um, uh, let me alone two months that I may go up and down the mountains and bewail my virginity and I and my fellows. Let me say this. She realized her limits. She knew her limits. She said, Dad, be it done 
for me. But dad, would you give me two months? Let me go up in the mountains and bewail my virginity. And here's what I want to draw you back to. Whatsoever comes through the gate, burnt sacrifice. Whosoever came through the gate, it was not a burnt sacrifice. It was the fact that she would have to live the rest of her life a virgin. No family, no husband, no children. And she would serve the Lord in the temple or in the, in the service of God the rest of her life. She would serve God. She would give herself wholly unto God. God didn't require death in that instance. Somebody asked me this question one time about this passage and said, said well, what about, what about the burnt offering? Well, that was a burnt offering if it would have been a whatsoever to come through. But when you look at everything else lined up in Scripture, God would never require a fire sacrifice like Molech. If I'm, if I'm reading this right, they were fighting the God of Molech. He said if Chemosh, that, that was, their, their God was the, the God that sacrificed children. Last thing we're done, verse 40. That the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Last thing we're done. She received her reward. She received her reward. Preacher, what do you mean? Every year for four days, everybody in Israel remembered her sacrifice. I know that, and I don't want to be careful. Do you have any buildings here named after somebody or anything named after somebody? Okay, some churches do it, some churches don't. Many churches that do it, do it for a financial reason. You know, they want you to give, we'll name something after you. At, at Grace, um, they had a teacher that passed away of a heart attack, just like that at Grace. So they named the playground after her, and I just saw that when I was there. Every time I see that playground now, I think of Valerie Harris. A teacher who loved her students, who loved the Lord, who lived it right. It's a memorial unto her. Every year, four days a year, all the virgins in the nation of Israel gathered for four days and lamented her. She received her reward. Now watch this. Some of you say, that's not a reward I want. And if that's what you say in your heart, it reveals to you the desires of your heart. Remember the story of Jacob when his name was turned to Israel? Y'all remember that story? Jacob's wrestling with God. And he said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. Remember that? What did God do to Jacob that night? The Bible says that he touched the hollow of his thigh. But Jacob prevailed, held on, received his blessing. Got his name changed to Israel, if I remember right. The rest of Jacob, now Israel's life, he walked. He halted upon his thigh. You know what the price was for victory for him? He was going to forever live with that halt. But see, it all depends on how you look at it. She said, the Lord didn't do this to me, He did it for me. As he's walking on that halt, that thigh, and he can't move very fast, and he's slowed down in his age. Watch this. Every time he said, you know what? I have victory with God. 
I had victory with God. I had victory with God. You see, for the true child of God that's mature and understands this, you know there is nothing greater than that kind of victory. It's not something the average Christian understands. But to those that have been saved for a length of time and battled, and seen God work, and gotten victory, sometimes those scars of those war wounds that you have in the service of the King, oh, they're not bitter reminders of struggles in the past. They're precious memories of what God has done in your life. She received the reward. She said, Preacher, I, I don't think I'm willing to pay that cost. Well, many are not. But you'll never enjoy the victory you should if you don't learn to be willing to say, Father, not my will, but thine be done. There's a cost to victory. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, thank you for how well the church family has listened. Lord, I pray that you would take these truths to to our hearts and help us, Lord, uh, forever allow you to help us to be victorious. Help us, Lord, to be willing to be spent for your use. Lord, help us to be willing to pay the cost to allow you to be honored and glorified in our lives and through our lives. Father, would you bless in this time of invitation. Help us, Lord, to make the decisions you desire us to make. In Jesus' name.